Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I am Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And we are really thankful that you are here with us today. So if you've been listening to our show, you will know that we have been speaking about the 88th legislative session and something that will be occurring very soon, September 5th is the impeachment trial of our attorney general, Ken Paxton. So not a session, but something capital related. So we wanted to talk to y'all about that. What that means, what is this impeachment trial all about? Who are the players? What's at stake? What does an attorney general do? We wanted to dedicate an episode to really dig into this. And from doing my research, I'm like, mind blown. How about you, Nicole? How's it been going? There's no shortage of information that you can read. And all of it is is pretty mind-blowing, exactly like you said. It's not one of those stories where the more you read, the less of an impact it has. It's it's the opposite for me. The more I read, the more my jaw drops. We hope to give you all some nice little takeaways so you have a better understanding about what is happening and hopefully why it actually matters to your lives. As I mentioned, the impeachment trial for Ken Paxton is starting next Tuesday, September 5th. And this is where the Texas Senate will be acting as the jury for Ken Paxton, deciding if he is going to remain as our attorney general. What happened previously in the Texas legislature is the House voted to impeach him. And now it moves on to the Senate and they will decide if he is going to be removed from office. And then they will also decide if he will be barred from ever serving in office again. So Nicole, I'll hand it off to you because I know you researched a lot of the basics. What did you learn about what's going to be happening, the mechanics of this trial? I even was going to back up even more than that and just talk about the office of the attorney general too, for folks who maybe just need a little bit of a refresher, a reminder that it is a statewide office. So these are super top of the ticket when we are um, voting. It is, he is like the head attorney of all of Texas. I also don't think I realized how big the attorney general's office is. There's over 4,000 employees. They have 38 divisions. They have 117 offices around Texas. And just to give you an idea of the scope of that, it includes almost 750 attorneys and they handle 30,000 cases annually. So it's a huge office, right? With really important duties. And so their main responsibilities are that they defend the state of Texas and it's duly elected laws. They provide legal representation to the state. Also, they are in charge of enforcing uh, child support. So that's something that I don't know if I realized fell under their purview. But that is the role of the attorney general. They also can issue opinions. So if a state agency needs an opinion about something, they can request one from the attorney general and they will write an official document. They're responsible for defending the state of Texas for 
any any legal actions that are brought against it. Um, also, for folks who don't know, this we are in Ken Paxton's third term. His career in politics starts back in 2002, and he was a Texas House representative from District 70, and he held that seat for 10 years. He then ran for state Senate in that same area, which is North Texas, uh, the Dallas, Frisco, um, Collin County area of Texas, and then ran for attorney general in 2014. Something that is of note is that within that first year, before he'd even completed his first year in office as attorney general, he was indicted (laughs) on securities fraud. So his history with legal troubles started pretty quickly into his term as attorney general. So this trial is going to be held in the Texas Senate. And something interesting I learned is that two thirds of the senators who are going to become the jurors have to vote in favor of impeachment for him to be impeached. So that bar is set really high. That means 21 people need to say that they are convinced of the what, articles With of the impeachment. evidence. Yeah. That yeah. The charges are that he's up against. And I think there's 19. I think, there, attorney. I think there are 20. Okay. Claire. Yeah. But yes, there are a lot of articles of impeachment. Yes. And keep in mind the Texas House voted 121 to 23 to impeach Ken Paxton. So a significant portion of House representatives were convinced by the evidence that he is not fit to be our attorney general. So now it's going to move on to this group of 30 folks who are going to look at the evidence and come up with a decision. A few interesting things about the jurors. Angela Paxton is a juror. She is a senator and she is married to Ken Paxton. So she is going to be present, but she is not allowed to vote. Leading up to this trial, there was a lot of chatter about will she decide to recuse herself or not? My understanding is that she did not want to recuse herself, but the Senate approved in their impeachment rules to prohibit her from participating. So they decided amongst themselves she was not going to have a vote. There's some other weird connections to this trial where you would think maybe people would recuse themselves or maybe it would be illegal for them to to have a say in this matter, but it's still legal. For example, Senator Donna Campbell Oh, gosh, we should probably back it up a little bit. So <laughs> there's a lot to this trial. Nicole, did you can you tell us a little bit about why Ken Paxton is being investigated? And then I'll get back to sure. these folks, because there's yeah, a lot of it's like a, it's in a, a spider web. Yeah, and it, it it is. So in a nutshell, what is outlined in the articles of impeachment is that he has misused his office and particularly to benefit a friend named Nate Paul, and that he took many actions that were against the integrity of his office in order to support his friend, who is also under investigation and accused of many things, that he misused his office in order to benefit both his friend and himself, essentially. And the reason why this all became important is because 
when there were whistleblowers in his office, particularly four attorneys who had been advising him all along the way, you really shouldn't be doing these things. You really shouldn't do this and that. All these actions that were associated with this man, Nate Paul, he at some point fired them and okay, I guess I should use the word allegedly, and then retaliated against them. So these whistleblowers then uh, revealed the things that had happened and to the point that they sued. And to avoid a trial, there was a settlement so that there wouldn't be discovery. They wouldn't have to lay out all of the charges that were being laid at Attorney General Paxton's fee. So the settlement meant that these whistleblowers then were awarded $3.3 million. Then Attorney General Ken Paxton came before the House and asked the state, us as taxpayers, to pay that $3.3 million settlement to which the House said, pardon me? <laughs> Maybe we, we need to know what we would actually be paying for and why the taxpayers of the state of Texas should be liable for these actions, which show that you allegedly misused your office. There's also a mistress involved. Alleged mistress? I guess we have to just use that word. <laughs> yes, there's, so there's a, a lot of evidence to support. Yes, and this woman is alleged to have ties to Nate Paul and that Nate Paul gave the mistress a job so that she could be closer to Ken Paxton. Anyway, all that to say, this woman, the alleged mistress, was previously employed by Senator Donna Campbell. So there's a weird connection there between the mistress, a senator who's going to be deciding Ken Paxton's fate in Ken Paxton. There's also a state senator, Brian Hughes, who's a former roommate of Ken Paxton's, an ex-tenant of his. So there's these weird personal connections that exist, but don't bar these folks from deciding his fate. I guess they could recuse themselves, but none of them have. The only person who is not voting is Angela Paxton, and she didn't decide that. It was decided for her. There's some more money connections that I wanted to make y'all aware of. Dan Patrick is our lieutenant governor, and he is presiding over this trial. He does not have a law degree. A lot of our legislators have backgrounds in legal matters, their attorneys, but not Dan Patrick. He's actually a former talk show radio host. And he has been trying to find someone to help preside alongside with him to offer him guidance in these legal matters. And when he's tried to tap someone, they've had to decline because they have given to previous candidates there was one specific judge, Judge Mark Brown. Dan Patrick asked him to assist with the trial, but he declined because he gave $250 to Eva Guzman, who was running against Paxton in the primary. So he felt like it wasn't a good place for him to be a part of this trial. There's a lot of other money floating around. In June, 
Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick received $3 million, $3 million, million, lots of money from the Defend Texas Liberty Pack. And this is a group that is on Team Paxton. I guess I'm trying to think how do I say this? They like him. They want him to stay. Ferris Wilkes and Tim Dunn are big funders of this pack, and they gave Dan Patrick, who was presiding over this trial, $3 million, and they like Ken Paxton. So it's a little suspicious that he would accept this campaign contribution with this impeachment trial right around the corner. Keep in mind that Dan Patrick has $22 million in his campaign war chest. He took this money. It's a little fishy. But that's completely legal. He can do that. Okay, we have that. We have some other strange campaign contributions that I wanted to bring Shell's attention. Ah, okay, 30 out of this bowl of 30 people, Senator Mays Middleton donated three, $300,000 to Louis Gomer's campaign. Louis Gomer ran against Paxton. And then Jose Menendez donated one thousand dollars to Rochelle Garza. She was the Democrat running against Paxton. Kevin Sparks donated twenty five hundred dollars to Ken Paxton's campaign. They're all going to be deciding his fate again. Completely legal. Seems a little ethically dubious, but this is where we are. And again, as Nicole was saying, such a small world that there's all this back and forth happening with money and support and campaign contributions. And it also really highlights how out of the ordinary this is, because we're seeing all these connections that make you raise your eyebrows, but this wouldn't be normally something we're talking about. This is super rare. I I wish I had this right in front of me, but I'm pretty sure this is the third time that we've even had an impeachment trial. And the space between them is huge, right? I think I don't want to get this wrong, but the the previous two were many years ago. This is very unusual. And so I think in no way are are we prepared as citizens and um, watchdogs here to, to even know what to do about all these connections because it's just so out of the ordinary. Another thing I came across was that years ago, Paxton's campaign received $250,000 from Dan Patrick's campaign. So there's a direct connection between Ken Paxton and Dan Patrick and money flowing between the two of them. There's also a connection between the real estate developer, got Ken Paxton a hot water, Nate Paul, giving money to Dan Patrick. So (laughs) there's a lot of money trails in this trial. I think it makes most folks a little distrustful of the process and of democracy. And it's frustrating that we don't have better rules and regulations around this. Money in politics is such a humongous source of distrust. There's no doubt, right? And we see exactly what you're laying out in terms of who's given to who and their interconnections makes this whole thing start off on a foot of suspicion. It's really hard to imagine 
that there are very many people who will be presiding over this or listening as jurors who are going to be truly neutral in what they hear. It feels like so many of them are going to have a really strong sense of their vote before they hear the evidence. It's just hard not to think that. And I'll I'll say Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has been stating that this will be an impartial trial. So he is saying that out loud, but why wouldn't he wonder? Oh my goodness. This is, as we said offline, this is so messy. There's just the, all of the things that are interconnected here are disturbing to say the least. Yes. It's messy and it's complicated. And I hope that we are clearing some air, but if you're listening to this and you're still like, who's what, I'm sorry. (laughs) So it's confusing. Yeah. That's really unfortunate, isn't it? But I guess that's the nature of of this kind of thing. Legal troubles tend to be complicated. I will say I felt like the house managers did a really good job of laying it out in a way that was honestly pretty easy to understand. So if anybody felt like putting in the time to watch that, I do think it is a worthy watch is to go see that and see the vote. And actually, it's really interesting to hear the representatives talk about kind of the things that they were still questioning and you could see some of them tipping their hand about which way they were going to vote. Although it still surprised me in the end how they voted. I didn't think it was going to be so overwhelmingly in favor of impeachment, although the evidence I felt was very well laid out and very clear. Yeah. And as a reminder, that was 121 to 23 folks who are obviously Republicans, which says a lot, right? Party loyalty did not mean that some people felt as if they could just vote against the articles. They they felt compelled enough by the evidence to vote against their party, which is also pretty unique. So speaking of laying out the case in my research, I found that the lawyers who will be presenting the case for impeachment are two celebrity criminal defense attorneys, Dusty Hardin and Dick DeGarren. So DeGarren, I was reading, represented Robert Durst. You remember Robert Durst? I remember him from that HBO series. I listened to a podcast episode where those two attorneys spoke about why they accepted the case. As Claire pointed out, our celebrity attorneys at this point, they have huge track records. There's, they don't need this. They don't need to take this case. Uh, but they both chose to once they saw the evidence and they're both Texans. They're taking a pay cut. It, it, they are also a really interesting story. If you're titillated by this and who isn't, cause it's so drama filled soap opera E it'll be open to the public to attend this impeachment trial. There's a limited number of tickets. My understanding is that they will release them in the morning and it's like first come first serve. And I was reading an article that's going to be like the hottest ticket in town, which is crazy. There's basically two things they're going to vote on. Do they impeach him? Yes or no. And if they do, are they going to bar him from ever holding office again in Texas? There were some rumors recently that Ken Paxton might resign. He has said, I am not resigning. So if all signs point that this is going to be moving forward and some folks have said, even if he does resign, the trial will still move forward to vote if he can run for office again, because he could resign, but then try to run at a later date if he isn't barred from that. 
which sounds like an important decision to have made because if we've learned anything about Ken Paxton, threat of legal action does not seem to deter him. It also does not seem to have an effect on his support. Can I say one more thing? Because I find this to be interesting too, which is that when Ken Paxton's attorney tried to get these articles thrown out, their argument was that there was no evidence. So essentially they should just throw out the articles of impeachment to which the house managers responded by releasing 4,000 pages of evidence. They laid out their case. It's, it really is fascinating to see how they are laying out their case in such a public and clear way that I'm just really interested to see if we are able to follow the case that they're laying out and if it will, if there's any wiggle room, I think is what I'm getting at, because I know that part of the argument for him staying in office or the argument that he is making and people are making on his behalf is that Texans, when they voted for him in November, 2022, knew that he was under indictment essentially like they people already knew that he was being accused of things and still voted for him to take the office of attorney general what's the big deal but obviously the answer to that is i don't think the general public had any idea the levels of the crimes that he's been accused of and clear or at least for me i'll speak for myself had no idea the amount of evidence that is supportive of the charges that have been laid against him. I don't think that voters knew they would be responsible on the hook for paying $3.3 million for this case that was settled regarding the whistleblowers. So again, it's like, yeah, do we want a system where we hold our elected officials accountable or not? And the accountability shouldn't be come election time because they can do criminal acts during when they hold office and we should still have enough mechanisms to say we're not cool with you anymore so you need to be removed from office and we need to put someone in place who does follow the law especially someone whose position is to be the state's attorney the state's law so enforcer literally too <laughs> oh it's so wild that is mind-bending Yeah. I don't think any of us want a system where some people are above the law and some are below. Like we need a system that holds everyone equally accountable. And the irony of the person who is the state's attorney as being the one who could allegedly be holding himself above the law is wild. Mm -hmm. (sighs) I hope that we see some democracy in action because it's going to be coming to Texas September 5th. So if you're in Austin, you want to see this in person, go to the Capitol. Maybe you'll get a ticket for the Senate chambers and you can tell us what you witnessed in person. But we will be following it remotely and we will be sharing updates in our newsletter. We might do some follow up episodes about this because who knows what will be revealed and we might have to just put in our two cents and say, can you believe it? But this is something that I think more folks should be aware of because when you start to look at it more thoroughly, you're like, oh my goodness, what an incestuous world of interconnectedness and 
it just shows you how concentrated power is in this state. I know I want to have consequences for misdeeds, just like I would expect of anyone else to be. I want my leadership to be held to those same standards. We'll see. We shall see. We shall see. We will keep you all informed about what's happening with this impeachment trial. We appreciate you tuning into this episode. Definitely follow our newsletter. You can sign up at our website, gobehindtheballot.com. And we will see y'all soon with more news about Texas politics. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one.